Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 108, Forgive Me Lord. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the The Apologetics Podcast after an admittedly long uh, hiatus, uh, something I apologize for. Uh, today's interview is going to be with my friend Dee Dee Warren, but it's not going to be about preterism uh, like she and I normally would talk about. Uh, I'm not going to give away the topic of the interview. You'll hear pretty soon uh, what that is. Uh, and the, before we get to that, though, I wanted to just make a, say a couple of things. First of all, um, those of you who've been listening to the show for some time may recall that last year, my wife and I lost our unborn child at the time, um, and I shared that with you. I, I kind of share my personal life with you guys. Um, well, as it turns out, we found out uh, recently, about a month or two ago, that we're, I should say she, not we, uh, that she is pregnant again, which we're really excited about. Um, but we're also pretty nervous. You know, we're, I think, at 12 weeks right now, and it was uh, a few weeks later than that that we lost our child last year. Uh, and so we've got a few more weeks to go before I think she and I are confident uh, that things are going to be, that things are going to turn out well from, uh, in the way that we would measure it anyway. Obviously, all things work out for good, even things that are hard to understand why they're good. So uh, I would just ask for your prayers. We would really appreciate it. Um, we know that God is good and that whatever he decides to do in his sovereignty will turn out for our good, but we would appreciate your prayers, um, that we would be at peace and content, you know, knowing that God is in control. The other thing I wanted to mention was that today, in just a couple of hours, I'm going to be leaving work and driving up north to uh, Abbotsford, uh, Abbotsford, BC, which is near Vancouver, to attend an apologetics conference where William Lane Craig and my friend Jim Wallace are going to be giving keynote addresses. Um, if any of you happen to be going to that apologetics conference, you probably will be there before you hear this podcast. But just in case you're not, um, look around for me. On Saturday, which is tomorrow, I'll be wearing my Rethinking Hell uh, t-shirt so you can keep an eye open for me. Uh, so anyway, that's all I've got. Uh, let's go ahead and play the next promo in the rotation, which is for Unbelievable with Justin Dryerly. Okay, so you've got their book, read their blog, and downloaded their talks, but where can you hear the arguments of your favorite defenders of faith actually being put forward in the context of a live radio debate? Only one place. Unbelievable is the show and podcast that brings together Christians and non-Christians to discuss apologetics, the Bible, philosophy, God, science, evolution, design, different worldviews and ethics every single week. How can the text of the Bible be authoritative if we can't agree on what the text was. Bart's position is that we don't have the original writings. I would say that we do. We don't have the original copies, but we do have the original writing. Professor Dawkins and others acknowledge that there is no evolutionary explanation for the origin of the first life. That caused being agency or mind. God. Do you mean God when you say I, agency? God, is a, God, I mean God. As a, I think it's a likely candidate. But Most atheists feel if life is eternal, then life is cheap. Jesus talked 
about life in all its fullness. And life in all its fullness requires、um, a relationship with the person who called us into existence. I'm Justin Brierley, the host of the show, and I'd like to encourage you to tune in to Cutting Edge Apologetics Debate from the heart of London, England, at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. You can download the podcast, join the forum, and get in touch wherever you are around the world. That's unbelievable. The show that brings together Christians and non Christians, podcasting every Saturday at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. You're unbelievable. I highly recommend Unbelievable as a, a radio show to listen to to hear、uh, difficult issues debated between both、uh, atheists and Christians, as well as、uh, between people of other worldviews and Christians, and of course, between Christians who hold different views, as was the case in one of the most recent episodes of Unbelievable, uh, which uh, featured,、um, among other people, Uh, fellow contributor to RethinkingHell.com, Dr. Glenn Peoples. I would encourage you to check that out.、Uh, you can listen to Unbelievable if you live in the UK area on Premier Christian Radio, Saturdays from 2 30 to 4 o'clock PM.、Uh, you, can also, uh, you can also download their podcast, subscribe to their podcast, and listen to past episodes by、uh, going to the website, which、uh, Justin just mentioned there in the promo. And of course, I'll include links to these、uh, in my show notes. So, I guess with that, we'll go ahead and we'll move into today's interview with my good friend, Dee Dee Warren. I'm joined today by my guest and friend, Dee Dee Warren, creator of the Preterist site, the Preterist blog, and host of the Preterist podcast. She's been on my show once before to help me explain why it is that I'm a Preterist. And in fact, she's part of the reason that I got into podcasting in the first place, having let me publish an episode of her Kicking Some Left Behind series. But she's here today to talk about something else, something a bit more personal, a little painful even, and definitely more important.、Uh, we'll get to that soon. But first, thanks so much for joining me today, Dee Dee. Thank you for having me once again. You know, I, I, I love being a guest on your show. Well, I, that means a lot. I appreciate that.、Uh, let's start by catching our listeners up a little bit with what's going on in your life.、Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your plans for the Preterist podcast this year and how it is that you kicked it off about a month ago or so? Oh, you know how it is with podcasts. The, the best <laughs> laid plans sometimes just don't work out the way, way you'd like. I mean, I, I, I'm hoping to get back to. More regular episodes.、Uh, I'm both blessed and cursed with a, a great job.、I'm、blessed in that I have one. I love it. It pays me well. Cursed in that it makes, it causes me to have very little free time.、Mm. But I am working, I'm working on another episode now as we speak. So, you know, the plans are to, to try to keep a regular Um, schedule and also,、um, since I'm finishing up Matthew 24,、um, to move ahead into my、uh, new project, which will be an exposition of Daniel 9. I look forward to that.、Uh, last year, you, you and I had been making plans with somebody to,、uh, to participate in a debate down there in Florida,、uh, a debate with a futurist, but unfortunately, things didn't quite work out as they planned. Isn't that right? Yeah, you and I had heard.、Um, A couple months ago or a month ago, that he had decided it just wasn't it wasn't the right time and、mm. it's postponed indefinitely, which which I'm really disappointed in because I think he would have been a really good opponent.、Mm. Yeah, I think so too. So, but does that mean that in the meantime, and you know, whatever ends up happening there,、uh, does that mean that you're looking for an opportunity to debate somebody else right now? 
Absolutely. And one thing that that experience, though, and in the planning and in the thinking about it taught me that if if I do do one, I think I want to do an in-person debate, you know, rather than set something up over the Internet for the amount of work that will go into it for the long term value. I just think that's the way to go. Mm. So I'm I'm looking to do an in-person an in-person debate. And as time goes on, I am slowly overcoming. I have a severe phobia of flying. That's why normally it would have to be down here. I don't travel well, but I am slowly getting over that. So Mm. I would be open to going to some other location, especially since there just isn't any venues down here that are interested in an eschatology debate. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I'm sure my listeners uh, and myself will be helping to see if we can find you a worthy opponent. Um, there's another project that you're uh, sort of working on. You know, you've had your commentary on the Olivet Discourse available at your website for some time, but uh, you've got something in the works for that, don't you? Yes, I'm working on trying to get that into a more polished form to be published. Um, that's something that's taking a lot longer than I thought. That's entirely my fault. I have someone who's volunteered to help edit it with me, but he's limited by my speed, though we have gotten a lot of work on it done. Um, this year, I really just really need to learn how to prioritize my projects. <laughs> mm. You know, uh, just as a sort of teaser uh, for those listeners who have maybe read it before and are wondering what there might be different about it, at, at the time or some time ago, you were kind of undecided uh, or on the fence between two views of where the discourse transitions. Um, but I think that you've started to lean a little more heavily toward one of those two sides of the fence. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, and I think it's episode 59 on my podcast. I actually. What I did is um, I made a podcast out of what is the revised commentary is going to say. The revisions aren't live on the site. They're not going to be. It'll be part of the version that's going to eventually be for sale. But I've come to a definite position on the verses following verse 34. And I definitely believe that there is a, a transition point there. I hesitate to word it that way because I don't hold like, usual i'm a little bit ornery (laughs) and that i don't hold to a transition in the way that is commonly held Mm. um but i don't think it's all having the same emphasis on 80 70 as you know versus 34 and prior so i would be in the part of the crowd that sees the transition there and i i put forth my position and defend it i believe it's in episode 59 um sheep go to heaven goats go to hell Mm -hmm. okay I'll try to include a link to that in my show notes. Um, I'd like to go back and listen again to that as well, because that's always been something that I've been uh, uh, a little <clears throat> uncertain about as well. Um, in any case, okay, so with that sort of introduction and, and catching up out of the way, let's let's start to get a little more uh, personal, a little deep, uh, hopefully, not, hopefully not too uncomfortable. Um, last time that you were on my show, you sort of gave us a little bit of your testimony, how it was that you became a follower of Jesus Christ. Before then, let, let's... Go back in time to before that point. What what sort of lifestyle did you live? What were sort of some of the things that you were into? Did you live what might be considered kind of a virtuous lifestyle, those kinds of things? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I have an interesting, an interesting testimony, and one I actually don't like to give, and here's the reason. Uh, there's something like my, my former pastor from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, once said, because he has an incredible testimony, but he said too often – 
when Christians give their testimony, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I, you know, a long time ago, I used to do this and I used to do that and do this and sound all exciting. And then it was, and then I found Jesus, the end. Mm. And I don't want to make my testimony sound like that. All the sure. good stuff happened after I, you know, after I came to Christ. Yeah. But before I was a Christian, um, I actually was a bass player in a, uh, a death metal band in South Florida. I was it wasn't an all girl band. I was the I was the only female. We were actually somewhat prominent. We were contemporaries with um, Marilyn Manson. Came out of the same local scene that we did. Hmm. And yeah, that was that that was an interesting period of my life. I wasn't only um, a, a, as God is wont to do. I wasn't only not a Christian, I was like most definitely an anti an anti Christian. So mm. he definitely has a sense of humor in the ones that he decides to <laughs> to snatch up. Yeah. Well, so I mean, if you don't mind me asking, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get too uncomfortable, but to sort of set the stage for the direction we're going, were you somebody that was, you know, withholding intimate relations <laughs> for marriage, that kind of a thing? Uh, no. Typical child of the world. Um, though, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, as, as the world goes as a teenager, I was particularly promiscuous or anything like that, but I certainly wasn't reserving myself, I certainly wasn't reserving myself for, mo- for marriage and lived the typical lifestyle of someone who is in a band, <laughs> you know? So, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that was the lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Well, so now I, I don't know all these details, uh, I've just sort of, you know, <clears throat> Uh, gonna throw things out there and see the direction they go in. At some point, uh, you found that you had become pregnant. You know, I mean, without going into too much detail, tell us about that and and what it is that you thought, how you felt, the emotions that were going on when you found out. Um, I think, believe I was eighteen at the time, and I had a, a long term, a long term boyfriend. It wasn't like bouncing from from one guy to another. And you're careless, you're wild, you're young. Um. I remember, it's hard to think back to that long, but I, you know, I remember finding out and just thinking, oh, well, I'll get an abortion. And that's basically what I did. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to try to build up to that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, that's what it was. It was like, okay, I'm pregnant. Um, where's the uh, classified so that I can find a clinic. So you didn't have any reservations you didn't have uh i mean you didn't have any conversations with people in your life about whether or not this is something you should do anything like those anything like that the only reservations i had is where i was going to find the money mm. all right that was a little shocking you know i mean uh, i i don't think i warned my listeners that uh, we were leading up to that um how is it how did you feel about your decision afterwards though uh you know prior to becoming a believer anyway was this something that you ever suffered emotionally about anything that you is this something that you regretted anything like that Back then, no. Um, the only emotion I had felt immediately afterwards was re- relief that it was over. Hadn't really thought about it much, you know, afterwards. I wasn't a Christian. Um, I don't think I was a particularly awful person, but I wasn't a particularly great person. I was a typical, you know, typical person of the early, of the early 80s at that point, you know. So it, it happened was glad I wasn't, um, you know, at the time, the way I would have thought about it, glad I wasn't a mother, and I, I moved on. Yeah. And from what, I, from what little I've been able to gather, that's actually not the only abortion you've had. Is that right? That is correct. Um, because I really didn't 
really see it as anything major. I'm just being honest. Uh, three years later, when I was actually engaged to be married with um, my husband that I was married to for 20 years, uh, found out that I was pregnant again and went in and had a second one. And again, even though, even though we were going to be married, it, he, you know, he was already making an honest woman out of me, but I just didn't want a baby. And was it just as, you know, easy to have, was it just as cavalier as it was the, the, the previous time? Pretty much. And the, the, the strange thing is, is the, I don't know whether the guys actually felt as cavalier about it, but they certainly didn't. They basically had a hands-off approach that, well, it's, it's the lady's decision, not mine. Hmm. Yeah, maybe that's something we could talk about a little bit later. I hadn't thought of asking you about it, but I've got some questions in mind about that a little bit later. But let, let's um, fast forward a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm hazarding a guess here that when you started to change your mind about this issue was probably at some point after you were a believer. Is that right? Can you tell us what it is that eventually caused you to change your mind? Yeah, I fast forward to, you know, I'm really bad with dates, 96, 97-ish when I became a Christian, and that's the first time I really even thought about it, mm. you know, for any, any, every once in a while, you know, things pop into your head, but I never really had given it much thought. It was just a given to me that, you know, that's a woman's right, it's my body, it's my choice, you know, keep your nasty male hands off my womb, and uh, I didn't really think about it until I became a Christian, and you know, my, I didn't become a Christian gradually, as some people do. I'm not putting that down. I mean, my, my change was from night to day. <laughs> and so a lot of things changed very radically in me um, after my conversion. I mean, this is something I don't think you and I talked about before. Um, during those intervening years, between the times I had an abortion, had abortions and I became a Christian, um, I didn't remain ambivalent about the topic I actually was an abortion clinic defender I was looking through some of my scrapbooks looking for something else the other day and uh, ran across this uh, local newspaper article with me on the cover there um, in front of one of the local abortion clinics with my now sign I was a card-carrying member of now I had my little ticket there for when Patricia Ireland was speaking so I was very active in the in the pro-abortion movement Mm. Um, there was a second picture in my little scrapbook. I had this T-shirt I'd, I'd wear around from a, uh, a really radical group called Refuse and Resist. And the, uh, the, the front of the T-shirt said, Abortion on Demand and Without Apology. And that, wow. was, that was basically my attitude. So, you know, was it – when you started to give it thought again after you became a believer, uh, was it – did it just come naturally to you at this point, being a believer, that this was something that abortion was something that was wrong, or, or you know, did did you hear other people talk about it and suddenly? I mean, what what convinced you that you had been wrong about abortion? It was a conclusion I came to. Ooh, here's where things will get a little hard. Sorry. <laughs> um, it was a cl- conclusion I came to relatively early. I can't really. Uh, like, I don't remember, you know, like, oh, it was this step, this step, this step. It was, it was pretty just, just reflecting upon it with the radical change in worldview mm. when you just realize that, ooh, that was screwed up. Yeah. You know, you just really, so, ooh, that, 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 
that wasn't a good thing. And it was really awkward because when I became a Christian, um, I was still married at the time and my husband was the father of one of the aborted children and he wasn't a Christian yet. So it was really difficult. What do you do now? You lay this on this guy, you know, he's not a Christian, you know, he doesn't need this laid upon his lap because, you know, you went to a church service and you feel fuzzies, mm. you know, it was, it, it was, it was really, it was really awkward. And one of the first things, Ooh, this is going to get hard. Um, one of the, the, the first things, and it still bothers me because I still haven't really changed my speech patterns. Um, cause it would be an awkward thing. And, but sometimes I think to be a witness, you have to do awkward things, but, Oftentimes people will be like, oh, you've been married. Yeah, you have any children? I just so easily say no, but that isn't really true, is it? I've had right. two children. They're just not living. Yeah. Well, apart from just sort of the awkwardness, both, you know, when people would ask you if you have any children and, and, and the awkwardness between you and your husband, emotionally, how did the realization that this, what you had done was so wrong, emotionally, how did it affect you? What, what, what you know, was, what, did you grieve? What, what were your emotional experiences when, when this hit you? Oh, yeah, I'm still grieving. You can hear it, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of groups you know out there that help. I never particularly found them helpful. I've kind of found my own path on how to deal with it. But yeah, I, I don't think uh, any woman who's been through it that has really stepped back and considered it is going to stop grieving. Mm. You learn to forgive yourself and you learn to move on. But just like anybody who's lost a child, whether or not, not um, it's something that you had a direct hand and that just kind of makes it worse, doesn't it? But anyone who, who, who's lost a child, they never stop grieving. Yeah. Uh, was there an added element? I mean, I'm sorry if I'm getting too, you know, no, deep and probing, I invited but... the show, didn't I? So, no, <laughs> ask true. whatever you, you, uh, you want. Okay. Yeah. Let it be for the record. She said it. It was her idea, not mine. Uh, no, I was going to say, I mean, just added to just the grief of having lost a child. What, how did it impact you emotionally that you did have a direct hand in it? I mean, does that bring a whole nother level of pain and, you know? Yeah, because I don't think. And this is from my own personal experiences. Some people might get offended, you know, like I'm not used to people getting offended <laughs> at some things I said. But for me and for, for other women that I've, I've, I've been in counseling situations with, that element of it isn't dealt with head on in the healing process. Mm. Um, and it needs to be because it's the fact of what happened. Yeah. So that that does add an extra element to it, particularly when, um, you know, you're a woman who was in the position that I was. I can't claim I was pressured into it by any guy. I wasn't, you know. Um, I don't even know how either of the two men really felt about it. I didn't care. I didn't ask them. And. You know, so so there's no little safety haven for me to hide behind. And I think that's the case for a lot of um, strong, you know, feminist minded women, you know, who later become Christians and then are, are having to deal with this with this baggage of the past. I don't think the church is comfortable with hearing the things I said how I was before. Hmm. 
I don't think they're they're comfortable with knowing that a lot of women um, don't think much more about having an abortion than scheduling any other medical appointment and don't feel much more afterwards other than relief that it's over. Mm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, you and I talked about when we were about a month ago when we were talking about this show, uh, you mentioned that one of the problems that you have seen in uh, uh, you know uh, pro-life apologetics um, well, you've seen some problems in it that have to do with appeals to emotion and stuff like that. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, in, in, in being in both sides of literally in front of the abortion clinics, I've been in front of the abortion clinics as a defender of abortion, and I've been in front of the abortion clinics on the other side. And I've heard the arguments that are made directly to women and and I and I'll tell you as a well I'll back up a second one some of the the arguments that are made to the women going in are are emotional appeals to the woman's selfishness mm. and I don't think those I think they're well-meaning but I don't think they're effective because there's always someone who can appeal to a greater selfishness so you hear people saying with the utmost sincerity don't do this you're going to feel bad about it well maybe she's not if mm. I didn't become a Christian I doubt I ever would have felt bad about it and you want to know what it still would have been wrong whether I ever felt bad about it or not. That's not a moral argument. Who cares, honestly? I mean, I know that sounds kind of callous, but we're not opposed to abortion because we're worried that women are going to feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and, and a lot of it has to do with that. Rather than dealing, um, at dealing with the issue for what it really is. And I think when we do that, we're not treating it. it, And I always mispronounce this word. And I did, I think when you and I talked about the show to begin with, it's the infantilization of women. Mm. We we, we don't want to deal with them as rational thinking people. And we're appealing to these side issues and these emotions. And, you know, most women can handle the real argument. You know, you don't need to kind of trick her out of the abortion by appealing, you know, to her to her selfish emotions because, you know, you know, so so I'll feel bad about it. I won't feel bad about giving a baby up for adoption. Let me see. What will I feel worse about? Do you really want that to be the the sliding scale? But I can tell you and this person will never know that I remember um, him years later. This may seem like totally trite, totally silly, but there was one um, pro-life guy that made an impression upon me when I was an abortion clinic defender. He never said a word to me. I don't remember him ever um, talking to any of the women out front, but we wore a T-shirt. Now, on the back said, as a former fetus, I object to abortion, Hmm. and that made an impression. (laughs) Yeah. At least there you realize this this isn't this isn't about the woman and and it got me thinking, "Whoa, I was conceived under difficult circumstances. I was conceived out of wedlock, but abortion wasn't legal um let me tell you, if I was conceived you know maybe five years later, uh let's see when was abortion legal in nineteen seventy had not even I was born in nineteen sixty seven I wouldn't be here 
Mm. My but my mother was a supporter of abortion rights. She just wasn't the type who would ever do anything illegal, which would probably would have been the only reason she didn't have one. Yeah. yeah. So me too, as a former fetus, I too object to abortion. <laughs> you know, I can I can say the same thing. My, I don't. <clears throat> if my mom ever listens to this, hopefully she doesn't uh, <laughs> mind me sharing this. But if I recall correctly, she told me later in life that you know she had considered uh, having an abortion when she was pregnant with me, and it was um, you know she felt that God had spoken to her and intervened and you know told her not to so that you know thank god <laughs> literally uh but um yeah i i too as a former fetus object to abortion <laughs> let's let's talk about this though um you know one of the impressions i get uh, and i don't know if you can if you get the same impression is that people that are supporters of the the so-called choice to abort um you know they they sometimes I get the impression that they're sometimes not going to ha- be impacted very much by those of us men who are pro-life apologists uh, or even even women apologists uh, against abortion who have never gone through this particular struggle themselves, uh, the, the feeling the need to have an abortion. Do you find from your experience, having gone through the experiences that you've had, that you are able to have an extra level of impact that maybe others aren't? Yes, I do. And I think any... Um any Christian woman out there who who has had an abortion will is willing to speak about it honestly. Um, will whether this is right or wrong, it is what it is. We we do have a greater street cred, as it were, hmm. to to address the issue. I I think it's wrong, you know, that this is a human issue. This is a human rights issue um, that we all shouldn't have the entree to speak but i do find that doors are opened for me that aren't open for other people and like everything there's there's a lot of things that have happened in my life some of them my own fault some of them not that are pretty bad mm-hmm. and i've tried to always you know take the biblical principle of beauty for ashes so to turn around anything that that's a part of my life and to try to use it to minister to others and for God's glory. And though the things I've said on the show certainly are not flattering to me as a pre-Christian person, it's the truth. And if I can use that to impact one person, even if it's not to impact that one person to not have an abortion, but to impact that one person to impact another person to impact another Mm. that's not going to have an abortion, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to veer off topic too much, but I am just curious. Um, you know, those of you, those those of our listeners uh, who are familiar with your show and have listened to your show for some time, know that it wasn't that long ago that you underwent a pretty significant theological shift when it comes to soteriology. Uh, I wonder, does the position that you find yourself in now does it add a level of um, this beauty from ashes thing that you're talking about? Does it does it make you realize even? I'm trying to think of how to word this question. Being a Calvinist now or a monergist, if you don't mind me sort of blurting it out there, does that make you more, uh, I don't know, thankful? Do you see God's work even in the evil that was these abortions that you had in a way that maybe you hadn't before you held this view? Oh, definitely. Though, like I said on my show, though, I was a functional monergist way before I became an official one. (laughs) Okay. So I've kind of always viewed whatever happened in my life in that way. Um, Even as an Arminian, and I know some Arminians are going to get upset, (laughs) um, I didn't 
I, I believe one of the logical consequences of our, of Arminian belief is that there's purposeless evil in the world, right. and I never believed in purposeless evil. Yeah. So, in, in that respect, and that's probably what, 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 what led me into Molinism a little more. There's a little bit more direction, hands-on-ishness of God in that view. Um, so, it, it, it systematized my view, but I always kind of had a monergistic view of whatever happens in our life is, you know, it's what God, it's in God's providence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, well, anyway, I, I don't want to piss off, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't use that phrase. I don't want to <laughs> upset our listeners anymore, so I won't talk anymore about that specific issue. I, I do want to talk about um, uh, the kind of case that we should be making. You know, uh, I, I had Scott Kusendorf on my show uh, a number of months back, maybe well over a year ago probably, and he sort of gave us, a, a pro-life case that I find persuasive. You, as somebody who's gone through the experiences that you had, but at the same time doesn't want to appeal to the emotional, you know, appeal to the woman's selfishness. What what sort of case do you, do you think is persuasive and that we should be presenting uh, as part of the pro-life cause? Well, you know, guys like the standard reason guys in Klusendorf, I don't think they make emotional arguments. So no, I actually am right in line with the same sorts of arguments they would make, like the sled argument and things like that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't differ from them. It's more the non-professionals, you know, just the everyday person in the types of arguments that, that they make. Um, I tend to, I tend to get involved, um, more so just like with everything I do, I'm more of a post-evangelist than an evangelist. And the same thing in analogy um, has come through through abortion. Yes, I do speak to non-believers. I speak to women who may be considering abortion. But I found that God has used me more in speaking with Christian women who have had abortions mm. and to encourage them to do something with it. I see. Yeah, let's talk about that more. That was actually – it's a perfect segue into the other uh... – questions that I had for you, because, you know, we, we talked a little bit ago about some of the problems that you see in pro-life apologetics, but when you and I talked to prepare for the show about a month ago, you told me that you saw some problems also in what you just talked about, which is uh, ministering to believing women that have had abortions previously. What are some of those problems that you've seen? Well, for whatever reason, it's not like there aren't ministries towards um, helping women deal with past abortions. For some reason, they just aren't really doing a good job of smoking us out. Mm. And I don't know whether it's perhaps, um, I, I don't really know why. I can tell you for me that when I would see or hear um, the types, and this isn't a slam, this is just speaking from my personal experience, the types of people that tend to be the spokespersons, I had absolutely nothing in common with those people. Mm. Um, they, they didn't come from the rough background that I did. And I just never really felt like it felt, I, it just didn't seem like there was much of a place for people like me. And I, I, I don't, oh, how do I word this? I think a lot of women are carrying a burden they don't even know they have mm. because they haven't really been encouraged yet to honestly face what they've done for what it is that they've done. 
Yeah, see, that's actually what I was getting at, because one of the things you mentioned to me is uh, that you get the impression that that the church kind of tends to minimize what women have done if they're believers who've had abortions or coddle them for it. I mean, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think a lot of what we do um, as Christians in this issue is we um, retreat to safe euphemisms and don't deal with the issue directly. What do I mean by dealing with the issue directly? Well, I can speak to it personally. I don't want to get in anyone else's face. I can get in my own. I was complicit in the murder of my two children. There it is. Period. We don't need to put fluffy words around it. We don't. And you want to know what? Healing didn't start until I was able to say that. Hmm. Yeah. Because all the excuses and the polite language didn't satisfy because I knew that wasn't the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear that. There is sort of a opposite extreme or danger of an opposite extreme, right? I mean, you, you told me briefly about a woman that you met at a retreat once who uh, kept this secret for something like 25 years because she didn't feel like she had a comfortable, safe place to talk about it. So is, is do you think that there might be the opposite danger as well of of being so harsh about it that, they're, that people aren't even going to be comfortable uh, sharing what they've done? Well... Maybe I didn't ex- maybe I didn't express it to you exactly right when um we spoke before um w- and and maybe I don't really exactly have the words for it. I I think what women need, at least women like me need. They need a safe place with other women like them who let them deal honestly and openly with what they did and then feel the forgiveness, but also then allow them to really grieve. And I know that's going to sound strange because people are going to go, no, these abortion ministries, they are allowing women to grieve. For some reason, it's missing the mark. I have had, you'd think what all these ministries, there wouldn't be, but I'll I'll say what had happened. Is it just so, I'm involved in a ministry called Vieta Cristo. It's a women's retreat, and sometimes things just come up on those weekends. And on them, I tend, and I'm not a charismatic, like, when I say charismatic, I'm not talking about charismatic as unlikable. <laughs> I mean charismatic as in, you know, the spirit told me this, the spirit told me that type of person. But I really on those weekends feel the the prompting of God mm. as to what I say. And, you know, we were all just sitting around the ladies having lunch one day. And the topic of the weekend and the talk we just listened to had not a thing to do with abortion. But I just felt the need to bring it up and just start just talking. And um, I just talk about what I went through and doesn't put any pressure on anyone else. And there was this this older, older woman um, who just, oof, here, it's going to get hard again. She just broke down. You know, after, after, um, after the lunch, she came up to me and she just hugged me fiercely. And she said, you know what? I've been carrying this for, you know. She had one back right about when it first became legal, and I'm bad with math, so you can do the math. She said, all this time, I've never told anybody. You're the first person I've ever told. Mm. 
And but that's not uncommon. This happens to me all the time. Why are these women not telling anybody? Yeah. And maybe it's just nobody's really given them permission hmm. to deal with the really ugly part of it. Yeah. And then after I've had women say to me, they're like, because I've been a Christian now a while, and you can see how raw it still is, right. who say to me, you know, it's time to forgive yourself. Well, you know, I have forgiven myself, but that doesn't mean you don't still feel, I'll always feel the rawness of it. And I think that's good. Because yeah. then what also happens is people are like, it's almost a get over it already mentality. But there's some things you really shouldn't get over. Mm. And it doesn't mean you're beating yourself up. It just means that you're being real. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. You know, so maybe I was, uh, I had misunderstood. Maybe the issue isn't that their women don't feel as though, uh, or they're afraid of telling people, but maybe the issue is more women that have been in situations like yours, believing women who've had abortions, maybe they're not as open and out there with it as maybe they should be. Yeah. And maybe they're not in the presence of people who are just so unflinchingly honest that they feel oh, you know what, I can admit this. I should look, uh, you know, I can admit this. There, there's a, there's a, I, I always go off in these rabbit trails a little bit, but I have a point to it. There's a book I love. You probably are aware of the site called Stuff Christians Like. Mm. And in the book, he, he talks about uh, uh, confessing safe sins. And that's how something Christians like, you know, in our little <laughs> accountability groups will go, oh, I don't enjoy devotions as much as I as I should, you know, and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, you sweaty even. Right. And he's like, don't do that. Yeah. He goes, go first and confess something real. You know, give the gift of going first. Yeah. And that way the people who come after you will feel safe that they now they're not following somebody who just confessed that they don't love praying as much as they should. Like, oh, you know. Yeah. You know, be real. And I think in when I talk to women, I, I give the gift of going first. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's something we men can learn from as well. I mean, I don't want to uh, <clears throat> make any of our listeners uncomfortable, but, you know, take the issue of pornography, for example. If, if you know, way, way more men in the church are struggling with that than I think are willing to admit it. And if more men would come out and confess that, um, maybe more men would be able to... Uh, talk about that and deal with it you know what i mean yeah i mean there's a you know what we we are a motley ugly bunch we've done some bad things and we're still doing some bad things yeah. and i think sometimes we we just want to be very plastic and i don't see any value in that and i don't see any kingdom benefits to that yeah i think you're right well let's let's Talk a little bit more about, I mean, what, what can we as a church and, and, and as a society as a whole do to uh, reduce the numbers of abortions so long as it's legal? I mean, one of the things that you told me, for example, is how betrayed many women feel after the fact for not having been given enough information to be able to make a responsible decision. Uh, and yet, what's funny is, well, it's not funny, it's sad, so many abortion supporters fight back vehemently against efforts to require that women be given that kind of information. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Um, and again, I think this is pretty obvious by my candor 
before. I'm not trying to deflect any of the blame, but I think there's a lot of blame to go around. Um, the force of law has a great persuasive effect. The people in pre-Civil War South that owned slaves, they weren't all, you know, these, you know, evil, evil, evil people. The law told them it was right, and they never reflected upon it much more. The law gave them permission to do something abhorrent. And the same thing is going on today with abortion. And, you know... We, the, when I was a feminist, you know, I thought this, these laws were so empowering to women, but, but they're, but they're not. It's, it, it, it's a, it's a betrayal in that it, it gives official sanction for, for women to do the one thing. I mean, the, the one place a child should be safe. Ooh, sorry. But also, I remember going to the clinics and when I had went to the clinics both times to have my abortions. Now, I can't honestly say if I had more information that I would have made any different decision. I hmm. might have. Um, we'll never know because it wasn't really given the information. I mean, my primary motivation in wanting to have abortion was that I was I was young and I didn't want a kid. It would have been a huge inconvenience. I was lower middle class, um, had living paycheck to paycheck, couldn't afford it, didn't have medical insurance, you know, all the, the typical things when you're 18 and 21 years old. And never was I given information on adoption. I mean, you get a cursory, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, but not really hardcore information. I mean, I had never known that there were people out there that that day I could have, you know, been well on the road to making arrangements for mm. someone to adopt either of those children. And not only for that, for these expenses I was worried about to be taken care of. Yeah. Um, would that option have maybe changed my mind? Maybe. I mean, I... I, I know I, you know, probably, you know, I painted myself as, uh, it wasn't cold hearted. I was just very pragmatic and okay, you know, and that coupled maybe with the fact if someone had bothered to tell me at the state of gestation that at both times there was already a heartbeat, you know, no matter how cold hearted I may have been or appeared to been, I wasn't that, that would have, that would have made an impact upon me that this was a person, mm -hmm. You know, blobs of flesh don't have heartbeats that are separate from mine, you know? Right. I think women need that information uh, to, to, make, to make informed decisions. But yes, unfortunately today, um, I don't know why a lot of uh, pro-abortion people are so scared of women changing their mind. Aren't they really all about choice? But I don't think they really are. No, I don't think so either. You so <clears throat> Do you think that if we, as a church, and and you know, I mean, let's be honest, there are people outside of the church who are uh, opposed to abortion as well. Do you think that if we were able to uh, successfully get more laws passed that require that that kind of information be given, do you think that it would reduce uh, the the number of abortions? At this point, I have to say, um, I'm not I'm not a believer in in getting things accomplished through laws. I think we as a church need to decide, take it upon ourselves to disseminate that information. Okay. 
that makes sense. Um, do you think that we should still be trying to? Because uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but I'm. I would like to see Roe versus Wade, uh, Roe versus Wade overturned. I mean, do you think that there's still room for the church trying to get laws like that passed, though? Yes, but I think what we settle for often is symbolic gestures hmm. that are just they're hollow. And they make everyone feel good, but they don't really prevent any abortions, and they just more entrench the position. And what I'm going to say next is not just an indictment upon the the church. It's upon myself, because even despite all of my experiences and the things I have or haven't done, I'm not doing this either. But this is the modern Holocaust. Why the church isn't out in front of clinics in large-scale demonstrations of civil disobedience, I think, is a blight. Hmm. We're not willing to get uncomfortable. We're not willing to be arrested. We're not willing to put our jobs at risk. So no wonder a lot of women don't believe us on the issue. They say, you know, and I don't, this, this is something actually I don't think we talked about, but I do want to bring up because it's something that struck me and it's an argument I used when I was on the other side of the fence. When I heard pro-life people say they were in favor of abortion, in cases of rape or incest, I said, that's really interesting. You want to know what that tells me? You don't care about the fetus. You care about whether the girl was a good girl or a bad girl. If she mm. was raped, then she was a good girl who didn't have it coming to her. Yeah. And I think that's how it gets perceived. I know sometimes we want these exceptions for compassion, but it's inconsistent. Um, and I think that we pay lip service to the fact that these are millions and millions of murdered children, but we don't really act like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and, th- and I'm guilty, too. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> I, I think you're right. You know, <clears throat> uh, those people, those Christians, and I'm not one of them. I mean, I'll be honest, and maybe this is this sounds harsh to people. The only exception I would make is when uh, the, the literally the life of the mother is endangered. Um Apart from that, you know, there, there isn't any other circumstances that I personally would allow for. But, but I wonder for those for those pro-life, so-called anyway, people that do make exceptions for things like that. I wonder if they would uh, allow a woman to kill her infant if it was the product of a rape or incest. You know what I mean? I, I doubt it. And what it does is, okay, you got a woman who was raped. You want to make her a murderer too? How is that helping the woman? Yeah. It isn't. You're, you're only, you, out of a misplaced sense of compassion, you're only setting her up to, for, even, for even more um, self-recriminations down the road if she does come to her senses. Yeah. That, you know, and you're, you're punishing the child for the sins of its father. I have a good friend. A good Christian friend, or very early in my Christian walk, who was raped when she was 14 or 15 years old. She was, it was everything that could go wrong did go wrong. She was a virgin, a Christian girl, got raped, got pregnant, and she gave the baby up for adoption. Good for her. As opposed to having an abortion, I mean. (laughs) Opposed to having an abortion. Right. You know, and she considers, she considers the fact that she was able to bless another couple with a child as a blessing. Yeah. And this was uh, a black girl, too, you know, which and I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to bring race into it, but race does have an issue. It's harder to adopt out black children. The rate the rates of uh, abortion amongst the black community, it's just staggering the way we're, you know, people are so concerned about 
you know, race issues, the way we just willy nilly think it's okay to just kill off generations of black children. Hmm. It's just appalling to me. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it true? Maybe, maybe this is not true, but I've heard it said that, uh, that the black community is, is a larger, a disproportionately large percentage of, uh, people that get abortions. Is that true? I don't have the statistics to back me up. I'm coming from anecdotal observation. And in that, I believe that is true. And I believe that's perpetuated by the system that we have. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's terrible. It is terrible. It is. Well, well, I'd like to start to wrap up by asking you what you would say to two kinds of people that might be listening, uh, beginning first with supporters of the right to abortion, even even believing women. Um, <clears throat> you know, some of them will think it's wrong, but feel like they can't tell others what to do. Others actually don't think there's anything at all wrong with it. If If there are people like that listening, is there anything you would say to them? Well, I don't understand anyone who would say, I think it's wrong, but I won't tell anyone else what to do. I, I say then you either then you don't think it's wrong. Because if you did, you have no problem telling other people they shouldn't rape, murder, steal, do any sorts of other things. You, why this issue do you say, well, it's wrong for me personally. Why is it wrong for you personally? Once you come to terms with that, you'll realize then it's wrong for everyone. Mm. It's you know, that I I don't get that. I have more respect for the person who says it's not wrong for me and it's not wrong for anybody else rather than this just weird postmodern kind of lack of backbone. You know, I I don't get it. And if you let me backtrack one one moment, um, another thing that impacted me greatly that had someone – um, th- that once it dawned on me, it didn't dawn on me until after I became a Christian, but something I think is powerful to say to women who are considering an abortion, um, rather than the you'll feel bad later. You say you are probably getting an abortion because you don't want to be a mother, but the fact is you already are. Hmm. The only option at this point is whether you're going to be the mother of a living child or a dead one. Yeah. And that is just the fact. Yeah. And I just wish we would, um, I don't know, I'm just a big proponent of, excuse the French, clearing out the crap and saying things as they, they, really, as they really are. Because th- we retreat so much behind safe language and I just don't think that's what the world today needs in this issue or a gazillion other issues. Yeah. What what about those other that other group of people that you actually have a little bit more respect for that say it's not wrong for me and it's not wrong for anybody else? I mean, if you had an opportunity to speak to people listening right now, whether they be women or men that are believers but think it's okay, is there anything you'd like to say to them to try to encourage them to rethink this issue? Well, yeah, and that's where then you 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 go through, um, you know, what is the unborn? That's the question they need to answer, and I think it's indefensible to say that the unborn are anything other than human beings at the normal stage of development of human beings at that time that we all went through, mm. and I think that's the route 
to go. And then, you know, I can't really give a pat answer to that because everyone's going to have their own justification. Sometimes it's not really things that they thought out. A lot of times people are in favor of abortion for themselves and others because they just want to have that option available to them. Mm. You know, they're like, well, you know, I don't want to be a parent. So let's let's not think about it too deeply. It's really easy to get on the yay, yay feminist bandwagon and just out of, you know, self-interest. But have to ask them what the unborn is and remind them that they were there once. And that's some people go, oh, aren't you making an emotional argument? No, I'm making an argument of just how life is, you know, and I think when people it's really easy on this side of the birth canal to be so blithe, you know, about saying it's okay to kill people that are on that are on the other side. Yeah. You know, so I tend to just take them one on one on one to what to what their objections are. And I think that the sled argument then, which I know we're not going to go into, you know, the details of all what all that is. I'm sure you could give a good link. Um, I think that that is particularly helpful in taking the roof off, as Greg Kokel would say, those those types of arguments. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other group of people that I'd like you to leave a parting message for, uh, leave a parting message to, are those <clears throat> women who are believers that are listening to this and have had abortions in their past. What, what, what would you say to them? And actually, if you don't mind me lumping this in there as well, what about men, belie- believing men who are listening who may have played a part in encouraged women in their past to have abortions? I'll be honest. I, uh, Before I was a believer, my wife and I, um, thank God she decided not to have an abortion, but I kind of urged her to. Uh, you know, what would you say to people that are that are looking for healing and forgiveness, um, whether they be women that have had abortions in the past or men who have been complicit in abortions in the past? Oh, and the whole issue with men, that's a whole other thing that's so neglected, which, you know, maybe you can, I think it would be really useful if you got some, some guys, you know, on the show to talk about that. Okay. Um, I would say that... This is just proven true in my life is um, make something out of what happened. Hmm. The what I have found to be an additional crime against my children is to pretend like they never existed. Whew. So, you know, the the way I think to healing is to to own up to what you did. And then be an agent for change. Hmm. Reach out. I, I think the way this issue is not through legislation. I think it's woman to woman to woman to woman. Just reach out and talk to people. Be willing. You of all people. I'm speaking to the women who have had abortions. You of all people can talk to the, to the to either the lady considering or the other woman who has had one like I did with that one lady. And just be there for her and cry with her. Sometimes it's all that's needed. And I think if we did that and just got really open, there's, it's like one out of every three women I meet have had an abortion and in Christian circles and regret it. If we became, I mean, think of what a force that could be. And then the, the lives of those children, you really are doing something for their memory. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I appreciate you being so, you know, open, uh, you know, and willing to do this. I know, I know it's painful, and 
you know, I appreciate you sharing that parting message with, with women that are going through that. Uh, how can how can listeners uh with whichever one of those camps they fall in under how can they get a hold of you if they want if you know to talk to you on about this issue um you know either via email or what have you oh my email address the easiest one to remember i guess is preteristblog at gmail dot com i my door is um always open to this issue it's something i'm even more passionate about than eschatology <laughs> and apple <laughs> i'm just throwing in a little joke there but i mean that right there i mean this was my this was my ministry way before i really knew a thing about systematic theology and it always and it always will be it's it's the people factor it's the getting down and dirty in the trenches factor and um, anyone can contact me at any time. And if they've got a friend who's considering abortion, they want me to talk to, they want me to get on the phone with them, I'll do it. Yeah. Okay, so that was preteristblog at gmail.com. And for those listeners who, you know, might be interested in theology, eschatology, stuff like that, where they, where can they go to find the Preterist site, the Preterist blog, and the Preterist podcast? Well, there you go. It's the, it's, it's the, 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 the trinity of eschatology goodness. Um, <laughs> it's each of those sites um, – just added .com. So you got preteristpodcast.com. That's, you know, where you'll find my exposition of Matthew 24, verse by verse. Preterist blog, it's kind of dead right now, um, but there's a good, I'm actually doing some maintenance work on it. It's probably going to be a year-long maintenance project. So it looks dead, but there's actually a lot of good stuff going on in the background. But there's a lot of really good articles there. Um, and Preterist site, again, a more of a warehouse of articles. I tend and never... Though I do generate a lot of original content, that's not really my primary goal. I'm more a curator of things that other people have done, and that is the purpose of Preterist Blog and Preterist Site. You know, my original content is more on Preterist Podcasts, but tend to be a storing house of information for eschatology on those sites. Okay. Oh, and oh, and, and my partners will kill me if I don't say this. Theologyweb.com. <laughs> That's, you know, before any of all, before all of this, um, that's a theology debate forum that I, that I co-own with one of my best friends in the world. And people of all faiths, no faiths, um, don't even want to consider that they have no faith or faith. You know, it's just, and, and everyone is welcome, basically. And even though it's Christian-doned, the same sort of attitude I portrayed here about being real, that's what we're about there. So I invite anybody over there um, to join. We have a dedicated pro-life section because that is the passion of myself and Brian who um, who own the site. So, you know, come over and join and we'd love to, to hear your thoughts on this or any other topic. All right. I encourage our listeners to check that out. And Didi, just thanks again so much for your time and your honesty and, and sharing, you know, this really important part of your history with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the platform. I, I appreciate it from my heart. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview and found it as powerful and as moving as I as I did, giving it and just listening to it again. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the The Apologetics Podcast, whose topic I'm not sure yet what it'll be. Until then...